Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this episode, we're looking at food safety. It goes without saying that the food we eat is a central part of our lives and the choices we make when we purchase and consume food need to be informed by accurate information on the part of those supplying it. After all, in some cases, being missold food that is improperly labelled or poorly prepared can literally be a matter of life or death. David Pickering is the CTSI lead officer for food. It's his job to keep an eye on the risks associated with how food is sold and consumed in this country and to ensure that we all, whether we're going to a restaurant, ordering a takeaway or doing the weekly shop, know exactly what we're eating. This is no mean feat in the age of complex global supply chains and with the rise of online shopping. We asked him about the challenges and priorities of his role, the potential risks that Brexit could pose to the food supply chain and how both consumers and traders are becoming increasingly aware of the dangers of allergens in food. He started by taking us through his day-to-day duties. My name is David Pickering. I'm the CTSI, one of the CTSI food lead officers. And what we cover is there's myself and a colleague, Corinne Lowe. We try to deal with issues relating to food standards. So that really includes everything that traditionally trading standards officers have covered. doesn't cover food hygiene, but what we do is really interact, I guess, with uh, central government bodies, and also uh, CTSI members if they do any queries. And we generally try to play a role in, I guess, helping to support officers, but also representing the profession within the kind of central government position around what they're doing and how it can have an impact on the work that we do. So what other agencies do you work with? Do you have a close relationship with the Food Standards Agency, for example? Well, because food standards is split, the the responsibility for food standards at central government level, when the coalition government came in in 2010, for some reason they decided to split food standards responsibility. So, you know, labelling, descriptions, geographical indications, everything to do with quality and standards, they decided to split it between three central government departments. So DEFRA, DEFRA is the lead central government body for basically food labelling, geographical indications and various other, I guess, more um, niche legislation like organic foods. The Food Standards Agency takes responsibility for enforcement issues, so anything to do with food standards enforcement, so the, I guess the day-to-day practicalities, Food Standards Agency deal with them. And then you have the Department of Health and Social Care who look after the mainly the nutrition and health claims regulations so that's relating to claims that are made on products so we kind of have three separate central government departments to deal with what we tend to do is we will respond because each agency or department will have separate consultations and will have separate issues that they they raise with us so we do deal with them individually but at the same time there are various forums where they will come together and we will represent the profession at those forums. So, for instance, there is a national food standards and labelling focus group where that is led predominantly by the trading standards profession but representing the regional food groups. But the central government bodies, so the FSA, DEFRA and the Department of Health and Social Care will sit on that body as an observer because... What we want to do is make sure that if we are making interpretations or 
you know, saying things around policy that we have an input from from the central government bodies as well so that we're not maybe going off on a tangent or maybe trying to do something that actually, from a policy point of view, is going to be incredibly difficult to, to support. And in terms of your day job, you don't just cover food, do you? You're the, the team manager for trading standards across Buckinghamshire as well. Is that right? I am, yes. The The day job is really with Buckinghamshire and Surrey trading standards. Um, I manage a, a team that works across both areas and deals with Well, the name of the team is regulation. So they will deal with everything from food standards to animal health. We do quite a lot of work at Heathrow in terms of imports from mainly toys and cosmetics, um, but they they cover petroleum, so they cover the whole well, virtually the whole kind of remit of uh, trading standards. The only thing we don't really do is related to investigations and um, supporting vulnerable uh, people directly. But um, yeah, so so the work itself covers you know, everything. I say most of the kind of reg- regulatory issues that trading standards deal with so that's that's the day job right so it sounds like you've got your work cut out for you across a whole range of trading standards issues well i think the good thing is though that within the authority the our head of service and and deputy head of service can see the benefits i think of the the kind of national picture work feeding back in into you know the work that we do within the authority so you know i'm quite lucky in that the my head of service is very supportive of of the work that that we do for ctsi but you know at the same time it is a kind of balancing act all the time you know what you're trying to do is is make sure that um you have to manage the time quite carefully so in terms of food safety, how do you tend to become involved in specific cases? Do you find yourself mostly responding to consumer complaints or do you take a more intelligence-led approach where you're preempting potential problems before they arise? Well, I think that the picture has, has become more, uh, more more complicated, more complex, I guess, in that, um, yes, we are, as a, as a service, we... I think what we're sort of coming around to is to say that we're actually kind of intelligence informed because I think that there is still scope for a degree of of market surveillance and also you know just kind of checking out if there are still issues with certain market sectors so you know yes predominantly we are the work that we do is informed by by risk and intelligence and prioritizing what we do because you know we don't have endless capacity but at the same time what we also try to do is is make room for or, you know, market surveillance type work, which will, you know, potentially inform us around potential issues. And we can then kind of just test things out to see if there is a problem. Because, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, I suppose as a service, we're, we're kind of relatively lucky in that we, we do have, I think, capacity to do that. But, you know, being realistic in a lot of services, you know, they have to be very kind of focused because of the limited resources that they've got. So I think it's kind of recognising that, you know, we are maybe in a slightly different position to other services in some ways, but at the same time taking advantage of that and, and you know, playing our part in regional work, national surveys. So what we're trying to do is, is I guess, maintain as best we can a, a kind of picture of what's happening potentially kind of, you know, a year down the line you know what are the current trends what's going to come up but yeah we do we do have to prioritize and yeah we are you know there are times when we have to kind of say well actually we we just can't do that because we don't have 
we don't have the capacity to do it but we will be looking at you know what the risks are potential impact all those things that i think every every kind of service now has to look at so what are the big risks to food safety that you're looking at at the moment well i i guess well if i i suppose in a way if i kind of um move it back to uh in terms of the ctsi role at the moment the, the food standards agency are undertaking a review of how food standards work is done because for a number of years i think that food standards work i think one of the issues with it is that people don't it's quite a difficult topic to actually put a picture to so if you kind of say horse meat to people or if you say you know it's about knowing what you're actually eating in terms of the description etc people kind of get that but then I, I think when you kind of put the term food standards on it, people tend to go a bit, oh, what's that then? Uh, and, and it's really an issue around over the years, because the Food Standards Agency have tended to focus more on food hygiene issues, I think food standards has tended to drop down the priority profile. And as a result of that, the Food Standards Agency have now kind of recognised that actually food standards work in authorities and whether it's it's kind of trading standards or our environmental health colleagues who do sometimes carry out food standards work in a lot of places it isn't getting the priority or the attention that that really it needs to have so i think the fsa have kind of now recognized that and and they themselves have kind of said that you know they have played a part in this as well by not maybe giving it the priority that that they should have done. So they're now reviewing how food standards work is carried out within local authorities. And I guess as part of that, trading standards, I think, still has a part to play. But I guess from a risk point of view, you know, there is a risk that the food standards agency, the, the, the role that we play may well change. Uh, and I think that that role will probably recognise a bit more you know, what our kind of strengths are. At the same time, one of the weaknesses we've got is that we have far less capacity than we did. So I think it's about trying to find the right place for us in that food standards enforcement, that regulatory landscape, really, so that we we kind of fit in in the right place and can bring... You know, the Food Standards Agency do kind of accept that we can bring a lot to the picture. But at the same time, I think it is really how they move that forward and, you know, there is a risk that our role will change. It may not be to the liking of quite a few uh, trading standards officers, but what we're trying to do is ensure that, you know, where we end up is really in the place where we can really use our kind of skills and competences in the best way that we can. You know, but it is a, it's a big risk. So that is kind of happening at the moment. I think the projected kind of timescale is probably 2020, 2021, when, you know, the final model will will be put forward by the FSA. I think, you know, CTSI members are being involved in the process and, you know, we are working with the FSA to ensure that they do get as good a picture as possible of what's actually happening on the ground so that, you know, they can see the good work and the best practice that is going on. I think it's just that at the moment what is happening on the ground doesn't necessarily reflect what the FSA think is the best way to do it. So, you know, what what we're saying is actually, you know, there are lots of really good things going on out there, but at the moment we're kind of constricted by a code of practice and requirements that the FSA are trying to put on us that are actually not helping so I think it's moving to that position um, in terms of I think the the kind of um, risks 
in terms of food, I mean, at the moment, the the kind of allergens picture is is probably the one that a lot of trading standards um, officers are involved with are doing work on because with food standards work, as I say, it's sometimes quite difficult to to kind of put a, a a label on it and I think that if we can say well actually you know, allergen work is a really important part of food standards work at least then that can you know f- from a consumer's point of view they can start to see well actually oh yeah that is something that I can relate to and that potentially you know I, I am or you know a member of my family is affected by so we, we are doing a lot of work with um, or you know in terms of the, the work that is being done in local authorities I know that a lot of really good work is going on out there with um, allergen work. I mean, I I sit on the Food Standards Committee of uh, Celiac UK, which is a charity that helps, supports um, people who uh, have gluten intolerance. So, you know, we are trying to work with the third sector as well, but also with the Food Standards Agency because that is kind of one of their responsibilities, allergens. So... Uh, and they are at the moment the FSA are kind of looking at their allergen strategy for the next 10 years actually so again one of the things we're doing is kind of feeding into that and really trying to I guess help shape the direction of it so that it is it's relevant to what we can do and it's also you know most importantly to all relevant to consumers so that you know they can see that they are being protected uh, and Hopefully businesses will kind of see it because I think one of the issues at the moment is that businesses tend to see it as a, you know, is it something we have to do? And I know what a lot of authorities are doing is actually saying, well, you know, if you see it as an opportunity to actually tap into a market that, you know, otherwise you just lose completely. Because I think what, what we find is that often if you have a person who has an allergen, they will probably have more influence on where you eat. So you know if a business isn't kind of looking at it and taking it seriously potentially they're kind of losing out on quite a big marketplace there have been several high profile cases recently of people dying after having allergic reactions to food that wasn't properly labeled have you been involved in any of those cases we haven't directly here but certainly we i've been in contact with the authorities where the the kind of work has gone on and Unfortunately, I, I think on average it's about kind of eight to ten people uh, die every year through um, allergen uh, in, or, you know, because of allergens. And um, I think it is something that is now being taken far more seriously. And certainly the the North Yorkshire case where the restaurateur was, was jailed, I, I think is now a sign that the courts are taking this far more seriously. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you if someone is killed and i think with that one you know there was evidence that the restaurateur had had just taken really unsupportable risks around the food ingredients they were they were putting in there and they were sort of describing meals as being peanut free when actually you know the the owner kind of knew that he was using peanut powder instead of almond powder so you know it's, it's really around um I think the problem is that people or or kind of sometimes people who run food businesses don't really appreciate the impact that they can have and and the effect that they can have on people. And and so, I mean, it is incredibly sad. And at least now we can say, well, this will potentially have a significant impact on you personally. You know, it isn't just a case of saying, well, you know, well, we couldn't really help it, could we? And, And you should be taking it seriously. And, you know, you should be taking reasonable steps and you 
you know, you should know what's in the food that, that you're serving. And it kind of maps across from, you know, they'll probably do that for food hygiene. But again, it's kind of because allergens tends to, it is a separate and, you know, slightly different issue. I think sometimes they just think people are being a bit fussy, which is not, not really a good message to have. And aside from allergens, do you think there's more emphasis in terms of consumer habits around the health aspects of the food they eat and its provenance? Is that something you encounter much from a trading standards point of view? One of the the other areas that is currently causing you know issues for a lot of authorities is uh, you know relating to uh, I guess you'd roughly call it the kind of food supplements market where you know there are there are lots of claims around um, whether it be kind of weight loss or uh, in, impact it can have on um, you know the health of the pers- of the consumer and, and there is you know the internet is is. A big issue and one of the you know one of the ish- initiatives that that it was really initiated by a trade association which uh, it was the european uh, sports and nutrition association they i think they could see that the the nature of the marketplace and you know again without kind of putting the whole blame on it the fact that the as trading standard services we don't have the resources that we did therefore you know we're we're not as able as we were to maybe deal with difficult well investigations that take time and the the issue is with the internet it is you know if you go onto the internet you'll see a, a vast range of products that are making all kinds of claims and, and and it's not an excuse it's a reality that it takes more time to investigate internet based retailers often you know the the people aren't based in the UK anyway, but there are lots of claims out there, and I think that the the trade association kind of recognised that actually by this happening, the whole kind of market sector was becoming tainted by a poor reputation because of some of the claims and and sort of really outlandish claims that some people were making. So they uh, got to well, they proposed to. Um, you know, ourselves, CTSI, but also the Food Standards Agency and other fellow trade associations in that market sector, that they would put together a, it's called a compliance roundtable. So the idea is that if a member of a trade association on that roundtable is making a claim, initially the trade association will approach them and talk to them and really highlight to them the fact that what they're doing isn't legal and you know then the consequences if they don't kind of comply potentially you know they'll lose the membership of the trade association but what we found is that normally the trade you know the member will will comply because they want to maintain the benefits of the membership and then what will happen is that if uh, if they don't comply still as a backstop well we've kind of said that as CTSI, what we'll do is we'll, we'll approach the local authority where the seller is based and talk to the local authority. And the idea is that what we'll do, we'll, we'll identify what the breaches are and, you know, in partnership with the trade association, we'll, we will kind of, you know, really, in a sense, give it to the local authority on a plate so they don't have to spend that much time doing research. And, you know, it's a recognition of the fact that the it's a really difficult area and it is a complicated area. And so... If you're a relatively small local authority, it, it probably isn't going to be on the top of your priority list. And, you know, to ask an officer to go off and spend hours and hours trying to research it and sort it out. So what we're trying to do is, you know, work with the trade association to really kind of make it as easy as we can for the local authority to to deal with the issue. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, people may kind of think, oh, well, it's kind of a bit of a strange thing to be doing. But I, I think it's quite a good initiative around 
you know trade trade bodies kind of playing an active part and and trying to to support us to deal with with the issues around there and you know there have been prosecutions uh, in the past of people who have been making claims but at the same time normally there is a kind of fraud element involved as well so they're kind of selling the product mis-selling mis it and often what you can then do is as well as a as well as kind of breaches of the food regulations what you could potentially also have is is potential fraud involved as well and certainly in wales you know in wales there have been a couple of of really good prosecutions there at the same time there is a kind of level of kind of lower level non-compliance that it is more difficult to kind of deal with because it tends not to be a priority. But what we're thinking is actually, if you allow that to continue, then it will just kind of gradually get worse and it kind of then creeps up to bigger and worse non-compliance. So, so what we're trying to do is work with the industry to deal with it. But, yeah, the internet is a real is a real problem. And I think as with other trading standards legislation, you know, certainly the food legislation to be honest, doesn't really deal with it particularly well. Well, presumably the more unscrupulous traders, those just out to make a quick buck, are unlikely to be part of a trade association and they're not going to be particularly bothered about whether what they're selling is up to scratch. I think you've got a spectrum of, of food businesses, really. And, and, you know, you're right. I think what you've got at one end are the retailers who generally try to comply you know, they will, they, to get a marketing, you know, to get a market advantage, you know, we have to, you know, accept that they will sometimes try and push the boundaries. But at the same time, I think their their kind of rationale isn't based upon fraudulent trading practices, because, you know, I think if it was, that's not sustainable over a longer period of time. So, you know, whilst, you know, sometimes I think food businesses, the, the bigger retailers and the bigger businesses, you know, they will try and push things. But at the same time, I think the rationale behind that isn't necessarily, it's more of a kind of let's try and gain a marketing advantage. You know, the spectrum then kind of runs through to at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who are deliberately setting out to defraud people. But I think some of those people are really, the, the kind of main motive is fraud. And it just so happens that it involves food. So, you know, f for instance, the you know, the kind of companies that will uh, use telemarketing or, or internet methods to target vulnerable people, um, you know, the fact that it happens to be kind of food supplements or uh, other kind of foodstuffs that actually aren't that relevant to the person, it, that's almost a kind of, well, it just happens to be food because the whole purpose of the business is to missell things to people. So, you know, I think you've got them at the other end of the spectrum. And then from there... You kind of, I tend, I think you tend to then move towards people who maybe are, are just selling what they can on the internet. So they may, they're, they're not even really proper food businesses. They're just people who happen to sell things on the internet. And if they can get hold of a product, you know, whether it's a toy or cosmetics or food, they'll try and sell it. You've then got people probably in the middle of the spectrum who are really kind of, they try to comply, but actually they, they don't necessarily have access to the information so often often the only way they'll get information is when they're contacted by ourselves so you know they're yeah they're, they're probably people who actually do want to comply but they don't have access to or capacity to keep on top of what they're meant to be doing uh, and you know and they're the ones who it is far easier to kind of bring into compliance because you know all they need is advice and a bit of support and you'll kind of you know they'll, they'll kind of come back in so so I think it is a real, you've got a real kind of um, broad 
spectrum of of kind of businesses but i mean one of the other things to to say is that i think certainly within um within food standards the primary authority partnership is um fairly well developed and you know whether or not within the profession i know some people aren't you know are kind of a little bit skeptical about primary authority but i think that it is um it is a way i think uh, of dealing with the businesses who do want to comply and you know yes they'll push the marketing boundaries but you know fundamentally they do want to comply uh, and so in a way you could argue that by being in primary authority partnerships with them you then free up capacity to deal with the people who are either deliberately setting out to defraud or or, or the people who don't have access to that any kind of in, or you know information that can help them comply so you know i think and certainly you know in in the kind of food world food standards world um primary authority i think is you know it's quite a good vehicle for actually trying to deal with the people who who kind of you know do do want to comply so um and and certainly kind of you know where, where i am in, in buckinghamshire and surrey we've got i think we've got something like about kind of 60 primary authority partnerships with food businesses so you know there is a i think there is a there is a kind of need out there or uh, an appetite for businesses to want to do that moving on to brexit what, what are the risks that it could pose to food safety and standards in the uk do you think it's an issue that's being taken seriously enough well, well i think the the kind of great unknown is really about what compromises will be acceptable to gain trade deals with other countries um you know at the moment we the message seems to well well the reality is that at the moment the legislation will be effectively kind of brought into uh, UK legislation. So, you know, in terms of current standards and the requirements, they will pretty much stay the same. I mean, one of the things that is being addressed is the replacement or the equivalent of the EU institutions, such as the European Food Safety Agency you know, which deals with a lot of nutrition and health claims, which deals with a lot of research. And I know that kind of the FSA, DEFRA, Department of Health and Social Care are trying to put in place replacement or they're they're trying to kind of deal with the gaps that will be left by European institutions and systems that, that we currently can tap into but again you know there's a bit of uncertainty around that because until we know what the the kind of leaving deal is we don't really know what the future relationship will be so I think the planning is it was all done on the basis of no deal so I know a lot of work has gone into that so there, there are potentially issues around you know yes it's all very easy on the face of it to transfer the legislation into UK legislation but at the same time you know if you're a food business and you want to make a nutrition or health claim or sorry make a health claim mainly um and it's a new one who who will approve that because at the moment you would need to go to EFSA but when we do if we do leave the EU where will you go then and it's really around certainty about what will happen then at the moment you know steps have been taken but there is still a degree of uncertainty and I think that's the difficult thing really that you know, at the moment with businesses, but also, I mean, consumers probably won't notice a huge difference at first. But, you know, with businesses, it is the uncertainty around well, what's going to happen, when will it happen? And, you know, then moving on, if, when we do leave the EU, as I say, in terms of business deals, trade deals that we do with the rest of the world, 
you know, oh, and, and I know in the newspapers they've been talking about kind of America and how they want us to accept, you know, the kind of chlorinated chicken and all that kind of stuff. Well, again, that's an issue that potentially could happen, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's really for the government to decide and, you know, we, we can... You know, we can put forward arguments around why we think maybe that's not uh, such a good idea or actually, you know, is it a good idea? Don't know. But as a profession, I think that we need to be keeping an eye on what's happening around those potential deals so that we can be saying, well, actually, you know, from a consumer's point of view, do we think that's a good idea? And from a profession, you know, as a profession, protection of consumer has got to be one of the most important things we do. Well, you know, how is that going to be, if we do accept that, well, how is it then going to be communicated to the consumer? Um, so so some of it, I think, is about consumer choice, but at the same time, you know, you kind of think, well, you know, actually, are there good reasons why at the moment we're not accepting that? And, you know, we need to work with our colleagues, you know, the kind of public analysts and also other kind of food technologists to talk to them and, you know, come up with a, a reason or a rationale behind why we think as a profession, you know, we think it's either acceptable or it's not. So so I think Brexit is, um, I think it's, yeah, it's just uncertainty really. You know, one of the issues is kind of potentially, I mean, we don't have that huge an influence on food supply, but, you know, one of the potential uh, issues is around lack of choice because, you know, the food that we now take for granted coming in from the EU, well, what will happen with that? Will it be brought in more easily? You know, if we have tariffs, you know, and this whole thing around, you know, if it's no deal, then do we have tariffs? And it all becomes kind of quite difficult to predict what's going to happen. And I think that's the biggest problem, really, the uncertainty. I think one of the, you know, one of the kind of um, big parts of food standards, you know, is, is labelling, but... Um, and and again, you know, you kind of start looking at it and thinking, well, actually, you know, the the kind of EU legislation isn't perfect. I don't think anyone would ever say that. And you know, as if you're kind of looking for opportunities, it could well be that, you know, within the UK, if we start saying, well, actually, you know, do we need to look at food labelling because there are lots of different ways now that you can communicate information to consumers and you know all the different media through which you can give certain information that maybe you know not everyone wants to have or see on a label because they just ignore it uh, and so if you're kind of looking for opportunities you could say well you know for companies for food businesses who want to export into the eu there isn't a choice because you've got to comply with EU standards and labelling. But maybe for the domestic market, if the food business's main marketplace is the UK, you know, then as a as a kind of country, as a uh, nation, do we want to kind of say, well, actually, you know, for food labelling, do we want to make it simpler? Do we want to concentrate maybe on the kind of bigger issues that people have got? And there are other ways that you can convey the other information that people maybe don't think is is that important because yeah i mean one of the kind of uh, things is that i think consumers do potentially find food labels confusing and you know they do find it there's a lot of information now that is potentially on there so you know is it an opportunity to say well let's have a look and and kind of revisit that but um but to be honest if you i mean that's really only going to affect food businesses that the marketplace is really the UK because again, you know, if you export to America, you've got to comply with American rules. So, um, you know, the it's there, and I think this is the thing about, you know, when when the politicians kind of talk about taking back control. Well, 
you know, yeah, but if you're exporting, actually, you don't have that much control over what you do because, you know, because the market that you export into will say, actually, no, we're not going to accept that unless it complies with our rules. Well, you've talked a bit about the challenges you face in terms of cuts to resources. What would you say to those in a decision-making position about how things could or should be improved to address those challenges and any others that you might face? I think that across the board, if we are going to take it seriously, then whilst I'm not saying that the resource levels should or need to go back to what they were, because I think that what we've been forced to do is maybe prioritise work in a way that, you know, potentially is making us more effective. At the same time, you know, if you are going to take consumer protection and maintaining a, a level playing field for businesses seriously, then more resource does need to be put into trading standards because, you know, whilst politicians can say, well, you know, I, I think that politicians and, to be honest, um, you know, sometimes journalists kind of think that we still have got the number of people that we used to have. And, you know, when you talk to people and, you know, when you talk to people about maybe food alerts and sometimes journalists will kind of say to you, oh, you know, have you got all of your team out there looking for it then? And you can say, well... No, <laughs> yeah, you know, do you do you know how many people there are now in in sort of and our service as you know as I said earlier on we're we're kind of you know we are lucky that we've got a very supportive um, you know both county councils are very supportive of us they they kind of see us as a service that you know they they want to maintain as best they can you know we're relatively lucky but I know that in some areas where services have been cut right back to the bone and you kind of think well you know have people not and it's almost like cause and effect isn't it you kind of say well and it's i think people you know certainly in central government and again you know when i sometimes talk to central government departments and they kind of talk about well how do you do you know when you're out there doing your inspections and you can't say well do you actually know how many inspections we do these days because we haven't you know we can't do as many and it's oh right well, because austerity has really kind of hit us hard and disproportionately to that. So I think there is something around if we aren't able to um, get the funding back on on a, a kind of across-the-board basis, which is probably being unrealistic. There is something about not necessarily ring, ring fencing, but if central government are talking to us about dealing with issues, then there is something about targeted funding. And certainly as an example, the the illicit tobacco funding that the Department of Health have, have used to feed into uh, services, you know, for that work. That is a good example of, you know, where it can, and hopefully, you know, I know it's not reached some services, but you kind of think, well, that maybe is a route, but also... You know, the feeding stuffs model uh, of the funding going through uh, NTS and then that being targeted on areas of, of kind of potential greatest priority. Well, you know, that they are kind of models potentially that, that can be used. So I think whilst it's unrealistic to expect the government, sadly, to suddenly turn around and go, well, actually, do you know what? You know, when we talk about things like Grenfell Tower, when we talk about horse meat, when we talk about all these consumer issues, then it's really bad, isn't it? And we need to do something about it. Well, you know, give us some money and we'll try and do, and we will be able to do more with what we've got. But if you are going to say, actually, do you know what? There isn't 
really that much more money available, then they need to look at you know more targeted funding to work with us to identify priorities uh, and really just try to support us um, you know in the best way that we can uh, best way that they can because uh, you know I, I think most services you know do the best that they can with the capacity that they've got and there isn't really any kind of spare uh, capacity around at the moment and and you know to address the issues and i think it maybe is something around you know government putting funding into areas where you know they maybe look at it so for instance if you've got you know a, a kind of predominance of food businesses in a particular say fulfillment houses you know if you've got fulfillment houses in a particular area that you know isn't particularly well funded by the local authority then is there something around government going actually this is a national issue let's put some national funding into it and and help you deal with it and uh, yeah, and there are examples of that going on uh, at the moment. I think the I think trading standards problem is that because we're affected by so many central government departments, it, it's really we we don't really have a kind of central government voice going. You know, this is why they're important. Uh, and the work that we're doing uh, and the work that they're doing look it's really you know the impact of it and the effectiveness of it is is potentially really good uh, and i think we do suffer for that and you know with food standards that's just a small example of where you know with food hygiene the food standards agency are the central body so it's you know it's concentrated and it's easier to actually influence that that agenda but where we're looking at food standards because it's split between a kind of disparate group. So you've got DEFRA and Department of Health who are ministerial departments. That turns into a totally different process around policy and what happened. You know, the the allergen the review of the allergen legislation, you know, that was a minister going, This is terrible, let's do something about it. And, you know, we're we're currently feeding into that review. And yeah, whilst that can be, you know, helpful, at the same time you kind of think well, actually, maybe if it was all concentrated back into one central government department, that may be a more effective way to deal with it. And certainly from a food standards point of view, you know, the CTSI view has been right from the start that actually splitting into three is not a good idea. And, and, and that really, you know, we would prefer it that it was back with the food standards agency as a more coordinated and centralised and also kind of arm's length body from government because then I think you're more likely to get kind of policy and legislation that is based upon good evidence rather than, you know, kind of political political motivations. But, you know, so so I think, you know, the message is that, yes, it is really, it is really difficult. It has been tough for the last few years, but I think it's trying to make the best of what we've got, but also say to central government, well, look, here's some examples of really good practice. You know, we are doing the best that we can with what we've got and with a little bit more resource, maybe targeted, we can do a lot more and, you know, we we need more than words, we need more resource really. I think that's the, the message. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to David Pickering for speaking to us and thank you for listening. We'll be back again in a fortnight with more insight into the world of trading standards. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.